0: I have no idea
2: how many people actually came into the church on that day because changed people helped change people, and changed people changed the world. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's what I want you to experience. Welcome to The Barnabas
1: Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a City on a Hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message,
2: here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Now, as a result of that, Peter goes on to give them the message. Look in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth say that name, say Jesus. Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The first word of the first sermon to the first church by the first preacher was Jesus. It really is supposed to be all about Jesus. See, Peter understood what he had remembered from his encounter with Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus said, hey, who did, who everybody think I am well some say you're Elijah some say you're John the Baptist and he he looks to Peter and he says who do you think I am he says you're Jesus the Christ the son of the living God and and Jesus says yeah not right catch this Peter yeah and on this rock your name means rock Peter but this isn't built on you on this rock I'm going to build the church Peter got it. He understood that it's not about how the music makes you feel. It's not about how entertaining the speaker is. It's not about the ambience of the room. It's not about the building you meet in. The church, if the church is going to be built from the very beginning, it has to be built on Jesus. Jesus is your hope. I'm, I'm so thankful that even in this room, there are godly therapists that I love that, that I would seek help from in that need. And, and that's an important thing. I'm, I'm thankful that on this week in our church, we restarted Celebrate Recovery, and that's a vital ministry. And, and I, I love what takes place through that ministry. But I want to tell you, at the end of the day, what's going to change you, what's going to give you help, what's going to give you the hope that you need, it's only Jesus if I if I did not believe that, I should resign my position. I, I should recommend we take crosses out of our churches and and tell us just to play self help games or to try to make each other feel better. But the reality is Jesus is the answer. And so Peter says, hey, I know you know about Jesus. You know he died, but that's not the end of the story. He's a man attested to you with uh, by God with many works and wonders and signs, and God did through him in your midst. Just as you know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge uh, of God. You crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men, and I love that verse, verse 23, because it sums up one of the great mysteries of Scripture. You know there are some mysteries in our f- faith you're okay with that right you're okay that God's bigger than you you don't have to have everything figured out because he's got it all figured out so one of the biggest mysteries one of the biggest divides in church life is around something called soteriology how are we saved and so some people think it's all about what God's already done some people think it's all about what we do and you know what the Bible says yes yes Yes, God is sovereign. So just like in this statement by Peter, God knows what's going to happen. Aren't you thankful for that? He's not caught off guard by what you're facing. He's not caught off guard by your hard times in your marriage. He's not caught off guard by your health crisis. He's not caught off guard by the fact that you don't like your job. He's not caught off guard by the fact that your finances are tight. He's never caught off guard by our circumstances. He knows he's a sovereign God. So he speaks to the sovereignty of God. But then in the last phrase, he said, but you crucified him. It's man's responsibility, right? That's the mystery of salvation. You've got God's sovereignty that's responded to by our responsibility, We respond to what God's done. And then he tells him God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he begins to tell us, not only should you know that, though, from what you've seen, you should know that because David... The great King David, he testified to it. He says, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or or let your Holy One see corruption. By the way, I love what David does in the Psalms there because David, who Peter is quoting, teaches us something about how we talk to God. We might start out talking to him as if he's more of a distant deity, but then and we just stop talking about that God and then we start talking about my God and he says for you will not abandon my soul to Hades you have made me known to the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence And Peter says, brothers, I say to you with confidence about this patriarch, David, he both died and was buried and the tomb is with us to this day. You guys, boy, you love King David. He was a man after God's own heart. We're so thankful for King David. If it wouldn't have been for King David, then his son Solomon, we wouldn't have the temple because David raised the money for the temple, even though he was never to go into it. Boy, we love King David. But guys, let me tell you something. David's dead. And you can go see where he's buried. You can put flowers at the cemetery. He was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. But this Jesus, God raised up, and of all that, we are witnesses being exalted there. At the right hand of God, having received from the father, the promises of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies my footstool. And then Peter says this, let all the house of Israel, therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He started with Jesus and he ended with Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the hope. Peter teaches us something as he preaches this message, something every one of us can understand and apply. He teaches us that changed people help change people. And changed people change the world. Now, why would I say that? Peter's part of the 120. They're gathered together in the upper room. They're praying, oh, God. We followed Jesus. We've just watched him ascend. He, he's told us to get ready. Oh God, do what only you can do. The Holy Spirit shows up. The wind begins to blow. The fire begins to fall. And so what do they do? They stay in their huddle, right? And they have a potluck dinner at the church. And they play good Christian games and watch good Christian movies. No. They get out of the upper room. And they go and help change other people. Because changed people, that's what they do. They help change people. And changed people help change the world. I've got to tell you, after nearly 30 years in ministry, I believe what I heard from Billy Graham when I was growing up, the only possibility for why the church and our culture is not alive is because many people who are in the church have never truly been changed. Many people who teach, maybe some who preach, those who sing, those who serve in positions, they've never been saved. They've never experienced what it means to know Jesus. Because if you do, changed people want to help change people. You don't want to sit and gripe and complain and be negative about what's not right. You want to get out there and make a difference. If you want to change the world, you want to start pointing people to Jesus. You want to start talking about Jesus. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. that will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Let me just tell you what it says about Jesus. He began by telling us that Jesus was a man. That's how he started. Jesus, this man from Nazareth. And that's significant because we've got to remember that Jesus was one of us. He was born as a baby. When he's a teenager, he had pimples I mean, he might have got bad breath and he certainly needed deodorant because they hadn't invented that yet. Just think about that. He was one of us and that's significant because that means he can empathize with us. That's what Hebrews tells us. We don't have a high priest who can't understand. We have one who knows about everything we experienced, even temptation. He understands. He just didn't give in. We can also model after him. We can see, hey, if Jesus did that, we can attempt this walk. We don't have to say, what would he do? We just look at what he did. And we can relate to him. Jesus was a man, but he's also a miracle. He was miraculous. He was 100% man, but he was 100% God. The Bible calls him the image of the invisible God. That means the exact representation and likeness of God. Sometimes we see a picture and we look at ourselves in a picture and we say, that's not a good picture of me. That's always kind of funny, isn't it? It is you. That's how you look to us. (laughs) Well, when we see Jesus, we see how God looks to us. That's who God is. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't look at anything Jesus said or did and think that that's not applicable to who God is today because Jesus is God. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead, it says in Colossians 2, 9. If you want to know Jesus, you need to know that every bit of God was in that Bethlehem baby. Jerry Vines imagines Jesus going to the temple and those old crusty old Pharisees are stroking their beard and they're going, how old are you, young man? And he says, well, on my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I'm older than my mother and I'm as old as my father is. On my mother's side, I get thirsty. But on my father's side, I'm the living water. On my mother's side, I get hungry. But on my father's side, there's coming a day where I'm going to go to this little boy and I'm going to get a few fish from him and a little bit of bread from him. And I'm going to feed thousands of people because I'm the bread of life. On my mother's side, I was almost homeless. I didn't have anywhere to lay my head. But on my father's side, all the cattle on thousands of hills belong to me. I'm the creator of all that is. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He said, on my mother's side, I went to the tomb of my friend Lazarus and I wept. But on my father's side, I looked into that tomb and said, Lazarus, come on out because I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus was a miracle. His birth was miraculous. His life was miraculous. His resurrection was miraculous. That's why we sing he's the way maker, the miracle worker, the the light in the darkness, the promise keeping God. That's who he is. And then Peter talks about the message of Jesus. He says it's a message of hope. That's what he says in verse 26. This will give you hope. And I would tell you, we're we're eat up with looking for hope in all the wrong places. Our hope is not in who's elected in the White House. Our our hope is not in how other people look at us regardless of our race. Our our hope is not in new laws. Our our hope is not in in more money. Our, Our hope is not in the home we live in. Our hope can only be found in Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and all his righteousness. It's a message of hope, and then he says it's a message of happiness. There's gonna be gladness brought to you. And church, this should be convicting. Because all my life I've been around a bunch of grumpy Christ professing Christ followers. And if your countenance never changes, if you're known for your negativity in real life and on social media, if people look at what you say and do and they've just kind of walk away because they're listening to the proverbs who say, Don't answer a fool in their folly. If if you always see the glass half empty, maybe you need to ask, do I know Jesus because Jesus brings gladness to me. That doesn't mean that we're happy about everything that happens to us. But it means that at the end of the day, when we really seek the face of Jesus, we can dig deep down and find the joy that comes within. And seeing you have made me glad, you have made me glad. And then Peter reminds us that Jesus was majestic. (laughs) <laughs> he said, "He's the Lord." Yeah. Isn't it interesting? The world stopped last week to watch the funeral of Prince Philip, ninety-nine years old. He lived a long life, <laughs> but it was still enough big, big enough deal that everybody stopped. I did. I wanted. What does that look like? We're kind of intrigued with royalty. The Bible says that Jesus is the king of kings. And Peter says he's the Lord of all the lords, of all the masters, of anything that could master you. He's the master of all the masters. He is Lord, he is Lord. He has risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is. If you know that, sing it out again. He is Lord. He is Lord, he is Lord, he He has risen from the dead, he is Lord. Every knee. Shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Peter was saying, He is the Lord, and because He is Lord, He deserves our obedience. We're not saved by what we do, He's already told us we're saved by calling on the name of the Lord. But if he's our Lord, we're going to be obedient. And this is one of the best illustrations of that in all the Bible. Because what Peter is going to tell them to do is to repent, turn to Jesus, and what's next? Be baptized. He's saying if you're serious about this decision, there is going to be some actual personal involvement of obedience in your life. If you really understand who Jesus is, if you really think that he is Lord, then you're going to start obeying him. And he gives us an easy one. It's like, it's a pop quiz with an easy, easy answer. He says, just be baptized because this is a symbolic gesture that Jesus commands us to do. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Why are you baptized? Well, when you go under that water, it's demonstrated that you have an old life that's been buried, just like Jesus was buried. When you come out of that water, you're saying, I've got a new life in Christ. I'm raised to walk just as Jesus was raised. It's your first sermon. You're preaching a testimony when you're baptized. And so that's why in Scripture, just listen to this. In Scripture, every time someone was saved, they were quickly baptized. It's an obedience step. And some of you, the light bulb just went off. You're living in disobedience. Some of you are saved. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You've called on the name of the Lord, but you've never followed through in baptism because you just looked at it as a ritual, just something the church wanted you to do. You're uncomfortable in water or you're uncomfortable in front of people, whatever, but you're living in disobedience. And as you live in disobedience, you're robbing yourself of the blessings of God. And you're demonstrating he's not really Lord. Because he's Lord, he demands our obedience. And because he's Lord, he, de- he deserves a response. He deserves a response. My dear old dad, man, we used to talk every Sunday. In later years, we'd talk on the cell phone even before we got home from church. I'd call and say, how'd it go? And he'd say, good. And he'd say, how'd it go? And I'd say, good. And I'd say, do you have any decisions today? And man, more often than not, he would say this. Yeah, a lot of people decided to do nothing. And now I'm old enough to see and I know what he means. A lot of people come and hear the message. They may even amen. Oh, that's a good word, preacher. But it doesn't do anything in our lives. And what Peter points—I remember what we're watching here. This is the first sermon ever preached to the first church by the first preacher after Jesus. And he tells us that there's always got to be a response. Look at how this chapter ends. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction. And, and some of you are experiencing that right now. I, I can't explain it physically, but maybe your heart's pumping a little more. Maybe your palms are sweating. You got a lump in your throat. Maybe you're just, content, you're just zeroed in and you're experiencing. He calls it being cut to the heart. Because what happens is God wants to come in and cut the cancer of sin out of you. That's what he wants to do. And so you feel that pain. You don't have anesthesia. You're you're feeling the Holy Spirit convicting you. And so they said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? That's how simple it is. You've heard the truth of the gospel, they've heard the message of Jesus. He was a man who was miraculous. He's majestic. He's supposed to be the Lord. Wow, I get it. What do I do? You see, if, if God's really speaking to you, that's the—church, that's the only response. This is not about an organization. This is not about you joining a club. It's about you coming to God and say, oh, God, what do I need to do? And then, then Peter was very, very, very politically incorrect because he says, Repent. Stop doing what you've been doing and turn to Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's a word which means you were going in this way, but turn and go the other way. It's a change of the will, volitional change in your life. I have been the boss, but from now on, I've got a new Lord because he is Lord. He is Lord. He rose from the dead. I've never done that. So he deserves to be my Lord. And then he says, and be baptized just to show that you're show that you serious about this. And as you do that, you're gonna experience the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how we know that what happened on Pentecost, that's not the way you get the spirit anymore. The way you get the spirit of God is by repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus. When you become a child of God, that same wind, that same fire, it enters into your life, the temple of God. Because you have become his. Peter concludes that time and he says, hey, this promise is for everybody. Your children and their children, all the generations that follow, this is how they're saved. This is the hope in the crooked generation. That's verse 40. And then look at verse 41. So those who received the word were baptized. They listened. They did it. And there were added that day. About 3,000 souls. From 120 to 3,000 in the response to one message. Now, I thought about something this morning just as I was reviewing this passage. I'm not trying to be extra biblical, but I think God will allow me to use my sanctified imagination. Who did the spirit fall on there at Pentecost? Was there anybody besides Peter? Yeah, it's 120. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul
1: Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support